So, do you like podcasts? Do you like movie podcasts? Yes! 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 If so, check out All Things Film, a collection of the best film, TV and movie podcasts on the internet. Groovy. Film Rave, it was only a pound. The podcast on Fire Network, Daily Grindhouse, Mass, Movie Side, UK, and of course, Film Sploitation. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. What? Anyway, all the best podcasts, film and TV related, under one roof. That's all things film. Boys and girls, go back to your studies. Believe me, nothing in life is free. Well, oak and dread, Batman. All Things Film is 100% free. And you can find out more on iTunes. Search All Things Film or online. Allthingsfilm.thefilmpodcast.co.uk Oh, sorry. I think I must have pressed the wrong button. Is anyone left? Toto? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Welcome to Taiwan War 13 on Devil Returns and Kill for Love. And it's important to sometime note that part of the selection process for these episodes are about detailing my own journey through mostly this era of Taiwanese movies, uh, mainly late 70s, early 80s era. And it's about the discovery of directors that have... Uh, that have gone through performers, movies, classic scenes, iconic moments, and about trying to explain my comfort factor while watching these movies and moments and performance. And that may mean that I pick even uh, stinkers, even mediocrity, because that deserves a voice. Uh, I'd like to, you know, mention them just ever so slightly and in as passionate uh, way as I can. It may not make for much of a podcast, but... Let, let me entertain me and hopefully my co-host first, uh, somehow. It's an experiment, you know. Hopefully the passion for the subjects and the subjects will translate to something, even if only podcast entertainment and not recommended movies necessarily. That is my long-winded way of saying welcome to Taiwan Noir 13 on Richard Chen's Devil Returns and Kill for Love. And my name is Kennedy and with me is, as always, my good friend Todd Stapman. Say hi, buddy. Hello, hello. I'm I'm uh, happy to be with you on your journey, Ken. I kind of think of myself as your movie wingman, if there could be such a thing. Sure thing, sure thing. And it's not like I'm consciously, it's like I have a list where, oh my God, I got 10 stinkers and 10 good ones, and I need to detail my journey in as far away, far away as possible, therefore I need to do the stinkers. Um, it just happens this way, and uh, you know, this episode for for me is uh, um for for once I'll be critical you know and uh, uh-huh. but, uh, but it's still about my Taiwan cinema love and it's uh, there's plenty of like 
there's some feeling here for me to recommend, you know, yeah. some cinematic feeling, but not not thrilling sort cinematic feeling, not little hero cinematic feeling. We're we're away from that uh, genre wise and uh, quality wise. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> I, I feel comfortable just saying that these are stinkers, <laughs> but that's from my 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 standpoint. I think you're you're quali you're qualifying it, but uh, yeah, these these aren't these aren't. Uh, real great movies we have to uh, I think yeah I think we'll have some interesting things to say about them right on we'll say that in a little bit first contact information this is Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire network podcastonfire.com is the website for this show and the bonus episodes email for feedback podcastonfire at googlemail.com join us over at Facebook facebook.com forward slash POF network is our page that you can like. And if you want to interact with us, uh, the most suitable way and most preferable way for us to interact with you is on the uh, discussion group, not the message board, but the discussion group. You can reach that by following the link on the page I just said after you liked us or just type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box and that will get you a group. We're also on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. I write about Taiwanese movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. I've written about both these movies, kind of. I'll explain that. It's SoGoodReviews.com, SlazyKVideo.com for little crude video reviews from my side. And I also tweet at twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. Taiwan War is on iTunes and uh, rate and Subscribe to us, and if you have the time, please leave a small written comment uh, with your verdict on the show. We would love to hear from you. And uh, we're also streamable on Stitcher Radio, available online, but also to your iPod, Android, and even iPad, of course. And uh, that uh, application is free, and once you're in Stitcher, search up Taiwan War to find the latest shows, and if you, and if you like us, add us to your favorite list, and uh, that will be good. And finally, from my side, the blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, uh, Chronicles, really, Taiwan Black Movies, uh, among other things. The Jesus uh, identifies the movies behind the these uh, cut and paste uh, ninja action movies, if you will. Uh, he has a great passion for Taiwanese cinema and uh, just like I do, wants to give them a voice and um, really make people aware that these were actual movies behind these Richard Harrison action, ninja action movies. They were not stolen movies. They were not incomplete movies and what have you. Uh, so uh, we also like to give a plug for Jesus' uh, blog. Uh, all of that is available in the show post and that's me. Plug your stuff, sir. You slacker, you. <laughs> okay, ta uh, taking a deep breath. Uh, you can find my ramblings on World Pop Cinema on my blog, Die Danger, Die Die Kill, aka 40K. That's uh, Die Danger, Die Die Kill, one word, uh, dot blogspot.com. Uh, I also write for Teleport City, teleport-city.com. I, uh, and I'm also involved in the Infernal Brains podcast with Mr. Taurus Tarkas of taurustarkas.net. Uh, we are in discussions, uh, for a new episode right now. Uh, and what else? Uh, I, I am gonna go out on a limb and say that Fighting Femmes, Fiends, and Fanatics is no longer a going concern at this point. Oh. I can't really elaborate on that, but I would say that our, the status of that is it's complicated at this point, but it doesn't like right now. I'm not going to keep promising we're going to have another episode because it looks like it's life has intervened. So.
it's an endeavor that you don't do in five minutes. It takes a while no. and uh, to put it together yes. into the quality that you have presented. So, uh, yes, yes. But there are still 13 fantastic episodes available for viewing. I'd say the best way to look at those is just go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com uh, backslash fighting fems, one word, and you'll be able to, uh, Look at all our, our previous episodes. Um, I'm real proud of those, too. I think uh, there's a lot of uh, good information on some films that don't get a lot of coverage. So, Well, well, you're a man of my heart, therefore, because that's what I, in my meager way, am trying to do as well, You know, regardless if uh, they are hidden, hidden masterpieces or not. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. Uh, oh, two. Can I mention two more things? Yes, I know this just can. gets ridiculous. <laughs> yes, Todd, that's fine. You have all what, the what, time what, in the world. What, 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 um, what? Yeah. Uh, well, there's the uh, the uh, 40k monthly movie shoutdown. We've done two now. We did uh, uh, Attack of the Super Monsters a couple weeks ago, and it was a blast. We have uh, that's. Uh, you know, where we tweet along to, we coordinate viewings of movies on YouTube, and then we tweet along. The next one is coming up on May 13th. That's Tuesday at 6 p.m. Uh, it's Santo and Blue Demon versus Dr. Frankenstein. It'll be the first appearance of Santo on the Shoutdown. So uh, very excited about that. Hope everyone can join in. All you got to do is go to the blog that day. I'll have a link up to the movie. And then at 6 o'clock, you start the movie, and you start tweeting along with us uh, using the hashtag 4DKMSD. Okay, and the last thing I'll mention is now, uh, because I didn't have enough projects, I'm doing a radio show, an internet radio show called Pop Offensive. It's going to be a monthly thing. Uh, we did one a couple weeks ago. It was awesome. We played a whole bunch of great retro dance and pop music from around the world, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, India, Europe, uh, all kinds of stuff. It was great. And the good thing about it is once you can listen to it live. And once it's done, you can it goes into the archives, and you can listen to it forever. It's uh, available on Ninth Floor Radio. That's numeral nine T H Floor Radio one word dot com. And if you go to the site and you go to the right hand column where it lists all the shows, it's called Pop Offensive. Click on Pop Offensive, and you can download or stream the last episode there, and that's where you can listen to the next episode too. And that's all we have time for on Taiwan Noir today. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the contact information, this has been... <laughs> this has been Plugs with Todd. I'm all plugged out. Uh, so let's rock and roll. Let's uh, jump into it. First movie, Devil Returns from 1982. Both of these movies are from 1982. And plot from my review of the film. After being attacked by a murderer, the police are pursuing Mei Shun, played by Joan Lin, begins a road back to recovery with husband Yu Ching, played by Uber Dork Alan Tam. Um, he was a dork then. He's a dork uh, now, I think. Uh, Alan Tam is, of course, um, yeah, well, he's a Hong Kong movie star, really, and, and singer most of the time you can see him in armor of god not uh, bringing anything good to the table i'm uh, i'm not a fan of alan tam aside from his taiwanese work i think he's a little bit better here he plays uh what a dork and uh but he, i'm i'm not annoyed by him as i as i usually am so there you go uh being startled quite easily and having nightmare visions that is his wife mation after 
a physical uh, therapy period, it turns out uh, Meishun is pregnant, but she senses something is wrong, that something <laughs> evil is growing inside of her. And uh, there, there is, I think, anyway. Uh, yeah, it's it's never really made clear is the funny thing about this movie. <laughs> it's, it's, only... it's one of the few movies we will spoil because there is... Uh, that that's kind of the main critique I'll get into. It doesn't really make sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> we we had the uh, Chinese text ending coda translated to us, and it didn't help whatsoever. Which um, oh, I didn't see the translation. I'm, oh boy, we'll we'll, we'll 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 get to that. We'll get to okay. That. Uh, but anyway, we've covered Richard Chen on the show and his uh, biography, and I'm hoping, since I've been approached by Richard Chen a few um, a few months ago, actually he uh, asked for. Um, permission to translate my review of his movie Girl with a Gun uh, for his archive and his website. Uh, so we've been in talks of possibly getting Richard on the show, and he was, of course, the, the director, as I said, of a Girl with a Gun, a.k.a. Fury in Red, and also The Anger that uh, you and I covered a few episodes ago. So I'm hoping to score a podcast interview with the man and kind of go over his uh, life. And it, it'll be cool for someone from to hear from someone from inside this era. That this era is so undocumented. So um, I'm looking forward to possibly getting Richard on the show uh, that way. Here we go. My brief opinion first, and uh, you can do your brief opinion afterwards. I, it's, it's a blender, Devil's Return. It's filled up with distinct influences. Obviously, The Omen, uh, Halloween, um, Rosemary's Baby, probably. And it, that's enjoyable to, to a degree to see Richard channeling these uh, horror classics. It's, it's very open. It's a, it's a rip-off kind of channeling. But... For the sake of clarity, the Halloween angle should have been left alone or or the Omen angle. Because at the end of the day, the movie doesn't explain itself very well. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, but but I enjoy watching it and he, uh, a lot more than Kill for Love, I'll tell you that much. Uh, it's, uh, it's an enjoyable watch, but there's plenty of wrongs with it. <laughs> so uh, that's my brief opinion for now. Uh, what do you want to say short uh, first about this other than the fact that you didn't like it? Well, I I didn't like it. Um, but I think you pretty much covered the the problem. It's interesting because what you covered was the, the basic problem with this movie, but also the fascination with it. Yes. Um, this movie wants to be four things. It wants, it definitely wants to be Rosemary's Baby. It definitely wants to be The Exorcist. It, I, I think it, yeah, it pretty much wants to be The Omen. And it definitely wants to be Halloween. But in the course of being each of these things, it forgets to address all the issues raised during the parts of the movie where it was trying to be, you know, it, you know, one of these other movies, and it, it just makes no sense at all, but it's kind of almost admirable. It's so crazy. Um, but yeah, there's the just, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my main point about it. Uh, it way, it made the film kind of interesting for me, but there's just no way that is, uh, good. But yeah, he wanted, it starts out as like a, you know, an evil baby movie or even, you know, an evil, an evil fetus movie because she's starting to fear the child even before it's born. Mm -hmm. you, you know, how, how can you gloss over the fact that this movie has, the opening has um, uh, Oxygen Part 2 from Jean-Michel Jarry playing, uh, playing over the credits? Uh, oh, that's uh, true, yeah. Uh, because uh, I, I kind of, 
it's the few times I recognize music. And for some reason, I haven't heard the entire Oxygen, to be honest, but I think that track sounds very unique I think, within those parts. And it's always part two that the Hong Kong filmmakers and Taiwan filmmakers have at their disposal. You know, Snake and Eagle Shadow, that has the part two, you know, the very recognizable part two. Here, it's over the opening credits, and like, oh, that's cool. Uh, and then later in the movie, there, there's a workout scene, aerobic scene. Sets to oxygen. They're like, who works out to oxygen? I mean, yeah. I would, but I'm crazy. I find noise soothing. I, I, I could work mm. out for that. But it's like, uh, pick pick like beat music, if anything. Like one, two, three, four, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think if the music was too lively, it would distract you from all the crotch shots in the in the uh, in the aerobic section of the movie. It's very 80s, like, that's a very 80s thing to have, like, the, the TNA portion of the movie be an aerobics class. Did, did, did you, by the way, um, you remember, early, there's an early sign of uh, Richard Chen wanting to echo horror movies because the characters are watching one in the movie, a monster movie of some kind. Did you at all recognize what they were watching? Yes, that's a Spanish horror movie called Horror Express. That's actually a really great movie with uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Wow. It's a classic, actually. Um, yeah, it was kind of fun to see that in there, definitely. And and before the uh, the baby, the devil baby movie, if you will, the, the movie kind of starts out as this um, you know, you know, serial killer movie, if you will. Uh, right. In a very... The opening scene where obviously Joan Lynn walks home alone. This movie is filled with horror cliches like you read about. And she gets attacked by this um, taxi rapist murderer and um, chased into this... Um, it's like a funky warehouse. With yeah, a like a of... construction site, the bottom of a construction yeah. site or something. This opening is pretty goddamn brutal because obviously yes. she's stalked and what have you. And then the black-faced killer, I don't know why it's black-faced, uh, just smashes her the back of her head into the concrete over and over. Yes. She spits blood, and uh, I don't know if this scene is ripping off anything, but it's a hell of a way to start the movie. Like, whoa! Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I gotta admit, one of the problems I had with this movie was, you know, I didn't have a problem with it being violent per se, but I thought the violence was really pretty mean spirited in this movie. You know, I mean, later when the when the ki the killer comes back at the end and the movie turns into Halloween and we just totally drop the whole thing about the possessed child, yes. any of that <laughs> stuff. Uh, but the killer kills her nanny as he's stalking her for half an hour through her not very big house. Yeah. Uh, he kills her nanny and then he kills her her teenage sister. And when he, he, he suffocates the sister and then once he's killed her, he crushes her face with his bare hand, which is like just so much. I mean, that's not just killing a woman; that's like annihilating them. And it kind of it was a, it was a little off-putting to me. It's sort of like when I say mean-spirited, I think the difference between like uh, Lucio Fulci's violence and George Romero's violence. Right. You know, with, with with Fulci, I mean, there's a lot of art in his movies too. But uh, with Fulci, there's a lot of anger in his violence. So you, you feel there's scores being settled when <laughs> someone gets killed in a Fulci movie. And in, you know, as opposed to Romero, who's like a showman, who's just trying to draw you into the world of the movie by showing you what's at stake and also just sort of going, hey, get a load of this. You ever seen someone get killed this way? You know, but uh, I, I found it, you know, 
uh, I'm going to use the M word. I did find it kind of the violence kind of misogynistic and, and mean spirited, which was too bad because there were things to have fun with in this movie too, mm -hmm. mainly how dumb it was. But, um, you know, that was off putting. I, I suppose I'm just a violence junkie in a way that I thought that, uh -huh. that was really memorable as a standalone scene kind of because that, that latter scene mixes the Halloween, the Omen, Rosemary's Baby all in one because the, the sister starts bleeding for some unexplained supernatural reason and then the blackface guy comes in and crushes her face too. It's like, talk about bad luck. <laughs> yeah, right. She has a weird like stigmata thing happen to her. Yeah. And, and you also get the the TNA uh, the the shameless TNA in that scene. So I, I if anything, I think that, that that I think that's my favorite scene because she obviously she's bleeding from within and she kind of needs to get her clothes off and she does. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sounding really terrible, I know, but it's uh, <laughs> it, it's on, on its own. It's a kind of a, a decent sequence. It, overall, do you think as Richard is both doing a scene like this? and copying other scenes really clearly. Yeah. Do, do you think he has a grip on recreating the atmosphere to a, to a degree? Or you you kind of are off? off do, do, do you think that ripping off is kind of off-putting automatically? I didn't find the ripping off off-putting. I think it, it seems... I don't know why he didn't just make a straight-up uh, Halloween rip-off, because I felt like that's where he showed the most interest. It seemed like he was, you know, the directing was more engaged. I think he did a much better job of copying the mood and sort of the the style of Halloween. And there were even scenes. I mean, there's a scene where she's in the closet with the killer outside. Yes. And it is exactly the same as the scene, you know, in, in Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. But it, instead of the only thing, I kind of like this, instead of the, like, Venetian blind-style doors, it has, uh, you know, an Asian screen, paper screen-type door, which is actually much even more vulnerable, and it puts her in an even more vulnerable position. I, I like that he didn't do that. I like that he didn't do a straight Halloween movie because there's millions of those. But how many Halloween ripoffs are there that for half of them try to be the exorcist, you know? Mm -hmm. And also we wouldn't have that scene because she finally takes the kid. I And I don't know, what, what signs were there that the kid was evil? I mean, that, there was also both of these movies have kind of a gaslight quality where the female heroine has had something happen to her that uh, makes people doubt her when the shit starts going down. And this woman had basically, this character basically had what we'd call PTSD today. So everything makes her jump and she's prone to kind of delusion. She thinks she sees her attacker everywhere. So when stuff really, you know, when she starts saying that there's something wrong with the baby or that the baby is evil, um, people don't give her much credence. Uh, it, it's this, um, I, I have many questions about that too. It's, uh, okay, you can go by uh, gut feeling as a character and as, well as a real person, I suppose, but there's no, it's so super basic and it's like uh, wants to, breeze through certain sections obviously the psychological trauma movie that it is for a while is dealt with uh, pretty quickly there's a montage boom pregnant good 
no, no, it's not. It's not good. I feel something, <laughs> and it's it's that I can deal with most basic cinema genre cinema, but mm-hmm. even I got like. Uh, questions about the day. okay you got a rational worry about the baby based on what exactly it's not very well very well explained because the only thing that's put forth is like that the baby cries at night and keeps her awake yeah. and she says the baby does that on purpose well that sounds like every new parents complain <laughs> is that the baby keeps them up all night that doesn't mean the baby is satan and then there's crazy stuff she does like we find out at one point in the film that the baby is six months old and she still hasn't named it and then when that when the nanny asks her what she wants to name it she says i want to call him little devil <laughs> and that's a great scene because the little the little kid actor they have when she says little devil the kid looks turns and looks but at hey i'm cool i'm say, cool say what yeah yeah say what uh, it, it, you know, you're right. That that was actually a, a, a really good um, piece of editing, a good take they got out of the uh, little baby. Um, yeah. But but I, I want to go back a little bit because as much as I like the abortion scene, again, it's this like the movie doesn't come creeping at you; it comes launching at you and asks us to just yeah. accept that here it is because she wants to have an abortion and da 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 up to the abortion clinic da 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 and boom, you know. All of a sudden, full-on possession. The nurse is possessed, and she starts, yeah. you know, killing the <laughs> douchebag doctor. And and it's like this really frenetic sequence that I like as a concept, like, like doom, 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 and all of a sudden, bloody violence, and it's chaos. Yeah. But the movie has not earned that moment for one bit, and yeah. and we never hear any psychological trauma having witnessed uh, that. Crime. No, there's it's no like, repercussion. I guess there's no abortion. <laughs> <laughs> not n- n- there's not even a scene of people going well that happened you know it's, like, <laughs> it's pretty fucked up <laughs> i was like what? yeah that was some i i was like what the fuck because yeah all of a sudden the nurse is like screaming and attacking the doctor with a razor there wasn't even any any uh they didn't play the ripped off exorcist music or anything there was nothing to build up to it uh and she just starts slap and did she kill the doctor i don't really even know how that scene wrapped up well partly but the devil does dies probably in the air through the doctor out of the window and onto the streets and um, oh okay so it's like yeah maybe she cut him but uh and and when i first saw the sequence this is the second time i watched the movie i really liked it again on its own as this concept of uh, just frenetic freaky horror even if it doesn't make yeah. sense i kind of can take something away from it because i am very weak for um this period uh whenever they did horror or darkness in hong mm. kong or taiwanese cinema there's some great horror movies from hong kong at this time that are really dark and accomplished and just so rare in feel and uh, as mm-hmm. genres today because it wasn't like a decade lo- start of a decade long fascination with horror it just really was around this time uh, early 80s in hong kong and taiwan that we got to see some more um, i don't know grittier downbeat darker horror movies and then uh, as the decade went on taiwan certainly went into art more and uh, hong kong went into action and comedy more and uh, we didn't see um, much of this uh, uh, so I, I treasure it when I see it because it's so um, it's so rare for um, for 
Taiwan to do it. But uh, it, it doesn't make sense at all. And, uh, you know, la, 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 the movie goes along. I don't mind the movie going along right. and uh, trekking, trekking through its beats. Uh, sometimes movies linger on their beats uh, a whole lot. But this one doesn't uh, reveal what the beats are about very clearly. I, yeah, I was uh, confused, I think, in, in memory over who, I, it, whether it was the abortionist or the exorcist that went out the window. Cause oh, some that's weird st- <laughs> Yeah, and the, the exorcism scene, that was the, the, the whole movie for me. That was like, that, I was on board for that oh. 200%. Um, and that was weird too, because yeah, characters don't even act in a consistent way because it's the nanny who keeps insisting that the child is fine and she's, you know, and telling this woman that there's nothing wrong with the baby suddenly says, well, you should take him to this exorcist. Okay. (laughs) So she takes him to an exorcist. They, and and they start the exorcism, and it's not enough to just have the baby's head turn once, like Linda Blair's head did in The Exorcist. That that sucker spins around like a propeller. The, head, <laughs> the baby's head just starts going, like spins, spins, and spins around. And then I thought someone fell out a window, but I think I was maybe. I think, I think the windows were blown out or some crap oh, like that. Okay. And then it kind of ended because he, uh, the exorcist, uh, the priest gave the baby an amulet to sort of keep it calm I suppose and uh, I think that's pretty much the last of the devil baby devil fetus angle because at this point uh, Richard Chen uh, starts making Halloween again and uh, black-faced Michael Myers comes back why he's black-faced I have no idea I thought he was wearing a stocking mask of some kind it wasn't very clear (laughs) it was clear it was black-faced yeah (laughs) but uh yeah, and then during those por- those portions, of course, she's risking her life to protect the baby that the whole for the whole movie she's been saying was evil and was going to destroy her. She's like, you know, running with the baby. She's protecting the baby all of a sudden. And for some reason, the, I, I don't think there either was a rationalization for the house being completely dark at this point. Uh, it was not like the <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Good you know, point. like turn the lights on for heaven's sake. It's yeah. creepy. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. Um, the, the X, uh, my final note on the exorcism sequence, by the way, I, I really liked it. I like that it's also accompanied by loud chanting, loud screams, and uh, yes. really ominous. And I, I'm very weak for when soundtracks of this era, you know, before we all got dull, when Dolby went all batshit crazy right. on us. Right. I, I like when. Uh, you know, jarring audio, not uh, um, jump out of the closet type of jarring, but just yeah. loud, loud yes. jarring, like uh, unnatural. Like, where, where's that coming from? It's not like we see this choir standing there <laughs> screaming. It's, <laughs> right. it's just uh, in the air, and uh, that, that's why this sequence is uh, pretty, um, pretty, you know, pretty great even within the context of the movie. Yeah, the sound design for this movie. Uh, needs to be remarked upon. It was very strange. I mean, uh, there are constantly, it, it sounds like there's like all kinds of arc, 80s arcade noises going on. Yeah. There's all these like, you know, outer spacey electronic noises, like you're inside a Galaga machine. There's lots of pew, pew, even in scenes where they're just like sitting in a doctor's office and, and <laughs> talking, there's like, 
you know, all these like zaps and little burbles, you know, that kind of stuff. Hey, nurse, stop, stop playing the arcade machine on the back. Right, exactly. Yeah, stop playing asteroids back there. Um, and on the music front, because this that's my jam. Uh, Give it to me. Liberal use of tubular bells from The Exorcist. Uh, and that, I draw the line there. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen other movies where they use stuff from uh, pretty iconic themes from Once Upon a Time in the West. But I think The Exorcist theme, that crosses the line. That is just way too iconic. And all that does is make you think of The Exorcist, which does not flatter uh devil returns at all it's it just makes you know prompts you to make unflattering comparisons right yeah i mean it's uh when you when you're not um when you're taken out of the movie and not with the flow of the movie where you know regardless if it's original music or not then then there is yeah. something wrong there i mean you don't want to hear and i think i've heard it the ghostbusters theme in a kung fu movie you don't really want to hear that, maybe. Uh, not that no. I care, because I think Ray Parker Jr. Uh, didn't uh, start begging on the street or anything after that movie. But it's like, no, that doesn't fit, dude. <laughs> you know, pick something else from the record collection, you know. Put, put an oxygen again. <laughs> I mean, you can't say that, it, that Tubular Bells doesn't fit in this movie, because it so obviously wants to be The Exorcist, but that's so obvious already yeah. that to just... Go that one step further, and that iconic musical theme from The Exorcist is just you're kind of digging your own grave there. Was it this? There was, I think it's maybe the other one where they use some. Okay, yeah, the other one I have musical notes for too, but I'll wait till we get to that. Mm -hmm. There there was one other musical thing that I was going to say. Oh, the I, I wanted to mention the awesome nightclub scene with this. The, with uh, well, I hope you use that song during the break where we have the singer singing that song. I think it's called Chi Chi Bong Bong, where she says, "I'm like a dragon, you're a little centipede. I can never marry a centipede like you." And it's this real swing and it's like a disco song, basically. Well, I, I will now. We won't open the show in an ominous way. You know, we'll, we'll <laughs> drop some. We'll drop some disco on your ass. Yeah, there was yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of cheesy pop songs that kind of remind me of the uh, of the song from uh, Island of Beauties a little bit. But, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not as groovy as uh, the, the the images that Chen puts on uh, on screen, and they're not as groovy. Uh, the images, I mean, I'll, I'll try to explain the ending as best I can. It doesn't make <laughs> sense, but I'll try to explain what happens. Yeah. You mean again, the baby has his amulet uh, and his. Uh, safe and therefore we the devil baby is no danger to anyone uh, michael blackface michael myers is and mm. for some reason when they uh, at one point she tries to hurl a tram at him and for some reason he starts um, flashing uh, not flashing her but he uh, a bright light happens as soon as the tram hits him but that, you know that, that was like weird okay and then it happens when Wait, what was that thing? I thought it was, it looked like an iron with something attached to it. Is that what? No, I, I, I don't know, but the, 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 the like light that happens whenever Blackface Michael Myers is hit by something happens when Don Wong, who plays a cop, uh, he's in it for two scenes. Uh, they arrive at the end of the movie, they shoot, uh, shoot, shoot Michael Myers, if you will, and he goes up in light as well. You know, when they shoot him, these, these bright lights, uh, emit from him. It's like, 
okay, is he not, is he supernatural, and, uh, oh, he died, what happened to the baby, and now everything is fine, because the final image is Adam Tam and Joan Lynn uh, having a picnic, everything is fine, and she's pregnant again, and we get the Chinese text coda and voiceover that isn't translated, and that's what I have for you. Do you want to know what that says, Todd? <laughs> yes, I do want to know what it says, and I have one more question. Go ahead. Uh, I got it translated uh, because th this happened so fast, and all of a sudden, oh, what, what, uh, what was, what is this, Emmy? Okay, maybe that. Okay, I got the text now. Maybe it will make sense. So you judge if this makes sense. Quote: It was all like a nightmare, but it seemed so real. <laughs> it brought me into a mysterious realm, but it was all just a nightmare. My child will be born soon. As the fear subsides, I anticipate the arrival of a new life. Crits. Oh, oh my God! I thought that that I I thought that might be what it was. It's like, are they gonna do the it was only a dream ending? Because that's what it looked like, and that's still even that doesn't make sense. I couldn't even come to that conclusion. Like, it's it's just it's just like the roll of the dice kind of we're putting this in the movie now uh cut the print moving Whoa. on here. that blows that blows my mind I, yeah wow but so. it seems so real Todd yeah but it all <laughs> seems so it did all seem so I real. mean I, I again it, it's like I like watching the movie but it's so many parts that doesn't make sense so it's so much up for critique and that's uh, and deservedly so and that's my that, that's my tally um but the uh, I have one question, because there was another untranslated thing. It was one of those translation jobs where they just figure if it's someone talking, it needs to be translated. But the written word, no, we'll just leave that. There was a, a after the scene where she, you know, identifies, she identifies her attacker in a lineup. He's arrested at the beginning of the movie. They catch the guy. And then there's a, and then there's a newspaper article that someone, you know, comes to and goes, look. And it's a newspaper about him. And I figured it either said that he'd escaped or that he'd been executed. And dialogue, after that seemed to suggest to me that he'd been executed, in which case the killer at the end was, you know, him coming back from the dead, which which would explain sort of the supernatural overtones of that. Did you get any sense of uh, of that at all? Well, to, to be honest with you, I just missed uh, that shot of the newspaper. Otherwise, uh -huh. I would have turned to my friend Kevin Ma to have that translated. Uh -huh. um, your explanation is as good as anything because uh, the movie obviously doesn't do a good job explaining the basics. So your theory is as good as anything. It still doesn't uh, make the um, it all come together, <laughs> you know. But but it was all dream, so it doesn't fucking matter. No, exactly. I mean, so, uh, you know, if Dallas can do it, then you right. know, <laughs> yeah, Richard Chen right. can do whatever the yes. hell he wants as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, enjoyable to uh, to a degree, and uh, uh -huh. the, the, so some parts are really well done, and uh, uh, I certainly wasn't bored. But uh, it's so much, it's so up for deserved critique. Yeah, this one, yes. but uh, you know, if you can find it, I'd recommend watching it. And kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's 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 somewhat enjoyable. Um, and as for availability, it's a bit troublesome this because it was part of the Ocean Shores um, catalog, Ocean Shores, the Hong Kong company, mm -hmm. and they released it on VCD and Laserdisc, but their catalog is not very widely available anymore. They uh, didn't uh, do a DVD of it, and they're not obviously repressing any VCDs or Laserdiscs, 
So uh, your best bet if you want to look it up, look this up. It's a used copies of uh, of those formats, or if worse comes to us, uh, uh, find it on torrents. Uh, uh, we watched a um, a copy uh, straight off the Laserdisc, uh, uh, which is a cropped uh, 1.33 presentation. I think this was a 2.35 movie originally, but Ocean Shores thankfully reframed the subtitles to fit the frame. Uh, so how, mm-hmm. however wonky they may be, at least they uh, reframed them so we could uh, read read them in all their wonky glory, if you will. Uh-huh. You know? uh, and this was a practice that Ocean Shores did for a whole lot of movies, uh, which I appreciated them doing that. They obviously just um, uh, read the original subtitles um, and uh, and uh, placed them in the one free free frame instead. Mm-hmm. So they didn't clean up any errors and even maybe committed more errors. Uh, so um, I, I can bet that the missing subtitles that are particularly evident in Kill for Love, I think that was probably the same on the original cinema print. They just uh, did a sloppy job. Like Bill was sitting there typing away and he was uh, you know distracted by Bob. You know, in the office. Hey, right. what you doing, Bill? Oh, yeah. nothing. Uh, uh, oh, God damn it. Oh, oh, just, uh, I, I got to keep on working. Boss says I got to keep on working. So, uh-huh. therefore, you know, Girl with a Gun is the same. Thankfully, uh, Richard Chen's Girl with a Gun, his Miss 45, uh, beat, beat by beat, uh, remake ripoff. Uh, thankfully, that movie has very little dialogue. So, uh, we, um, it's not as damaging, if you will, compared to Kill for Love, you know. Uh, but uh, so Ocean Shores, uh, I, I really like the catalog, and that practice was good for crop movies. But uh, they were a bit of a sloppy company. But uh, great titles in the catalog, especially Taiwanese uh, movies. So, um, so let's put Devil Returns to bed, and uh, they put the Devil Baby to bed in the movie, literally. Like it's got, you know, it's no threat anymore. And we are doing the same, and they're uh, taking a break. And after that, they're talking another Richard Chen movie from the same year, and it's called Kill for Love. So uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back, and final movie up review is Kill for Love from 1982, a plot that I retooled from my plot for the movie Official Exterminator Kill for Love, and I'll more on that shortly, why I'm talking about another movie that's called almost the same. So, Fang Chun Liang, played by actor Chu Xu Hoi, offers a room, uh, room and board really, to Chen Xinmei, played by my movie wife, Lu Xiaofen, <laughs> the gorgeous Lu Xiaofen, from On the Society File of Shanghai, and uh, The Anger, as uh, you and I covered. Uh, she's uh, one of the uh, factory workers at the company that he works for, and they also lived in the same village, so uh, he takes her in, uh, and uh, they eventually fall in love, but the rage and jealousy in Xinmei, over time, takes over to lethal levels, and he is also willing to do anything to reach the top. You know, that's a gross, exciting stuff. <laughs> Tra- trailer Man would sell this movie very, very well, or better. Um, yeah, I think you're in. Uh, I think you're on Richard Chen's payroll, Ken. That, that was a very. That was a very charitable. Very charitable. But but I won't be in a while, so don't worry. Yeah. About it. You know. That, that, Oh, it's akin to me burning the money I just received, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, as I say my opinion in a little while. But there's no production background, but some of you might have seen 
large chunks of this movie, Kill for Love, when it was called Official Exterminator, Kill for Love. This was made at IFD. It was a cut-and-paste movie, and it's credited to Raymond Wu and not Godfrey Ho. They took out about um, six to seven minutes from Kill for Love to make room for their plot, which is essentially, and this is taken from my review of that movie, as to try and outmuscle rival company, the Pacific Corporation. Boss Blake, played by Mike Abbott, a frequent leading man at IFD, sends Charlie Fong, which is the male lead in Kill for Love, Chi uh, Chu Chu Hoi. He sends him in to try and infiltrate the company all the way to the top. And the Kill for Love plot essentially happens at this point. That is intercut with the side story of a cop, a rogue cop, played by Mark Watson, who's out for revenge, to avenge the death of his partner, who dies in this bicycle assassin scene. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he gets stabbed by a katana, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. So that, that you, I know you've seen that footage, so you, you know yeah. that, that that's the drama. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I find that amusing, that scene. And the target is Blake, obviously, Mike Abbott, and his bike riding, and ninja henchmen. There's bike riding henchmen, and there's a ninja in this movie, because it's an IFD movie. Any excuse for a ninja in Official Exterminator, Kill for Love. Amusing to watch. The thing is, I've reviewed Kill for, uh, I haven't reviewed the original Kill for Love, but the verdict watching Official Exterminator and the original, as we have, remains the same for me. Where, you know, so, um, most of the movie is intact and therefore you can make, and the plotting is as well. So therefore you can make a pretty, um, uh, de- you know, definite uh, determination what's uh, been going on here and uh, what, what it is, if it's, if it's quality or not. And therefore that leads into my opinion. On its own, and even within Official Exterminator, it's super weak. It's really only springs to life for a few sparse moments, thanks to my movie wife, Lu Xiaofen, merely being there. That it doesn't take much. I can watch her all day, but I can recognize, even when she shows this feisty presence in some scenes, or a scene, and, uh, and the violent ending is uh, not too bad, but it's mostly... Or all 99%, let's be fair. A tired, basic, bad, dark romance melodrama with no character interest whatsoever. Or good filmmaking, really. It's a very flat movie. No, no signs of atmosphere or horror here as uh, demonstrated in Devil Returns. I enjoy seeing it occasionally for reasons I explained in the intro. That Taiwan comfort fodder. But barely. And it's also a highly personal angle that you shouldn't take as a recommendation at all. So that that's my as a brief opinion, but um, I have more. So therefore, let us hear your opinion, your unfiltered opinion, Todd. What did you think of Kill for Love? Uh, well, first I wanted to ask you, wasn't Lu Xiaofen in Devil Returns as well? Wasn't she the girl who got her face crushed? Uh, no, that's another actress. Uh, oh, another actress. I don't know okay. her name offhand now, but uh, it is another actress. Okay, as far as my opinion, I, I'm very happy that I, I we're, uh, God, I, <laughs> I, I'm at a loss for words. Um, so I, good or bad that you lost for that that you had a loss for words. Yeah. <laughs> What's going no, on? No, I'm very happy that we're of the same mind on this. I agree with everything you said. Except that it's 100% bad, <laughs> rather than yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, I, I wouldn't allow for it. Well, no, I will say one thing. Uh, yes, uh, it's a very flat movie. 
uh, pretty artless and free of style, but I do like that Chen tried to jazz it up by fragmenting the timeline. It's told in by telling it in flashbacks and flash forwards. That doesn't make it interesting, but at least it's an attempt to make it interesting. Uh, I've been sort of confounded, you know, when we did the anger and whatever that was. Uh, Inferno Thunderbolt! Inferno Thunderbolt! When we did Inferno Thunderbolt, yeah, I found the, you know, Godfrey Ho's placing of ninja footage into uh, completely incongruous movies sort of baffling. But in the case of Kill for Love, if I could have inserted ninjas into it myself, I would have done that. Because basically, uh, you know, a title like Kill for Love, it uh, that leads you to expect it's going to be some kind of a, a, you know, a thriller, maybe kind of a sexy thriller, sure. uh, a suspense thriller. But really the only thing, you know, my main note on this movie is the only thing suspenseful about it is the title because that's the only thing that gives any indication that anything interesting is going to happen at any point in the movie. I'm glad I'm glad IFD kept that title. The official Exterminator series isn't a series, and it's been retitled to Hell and Back, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's up to about five or six, and uh, one and four has um, at least um, uh, Lucia fan movies. Uh, four, uh, official Exterminator, Goddess Mission! It's uh, a cut and paste <laughs> movie mixing uh, that uh, Godfrey Ho footage, if you will, and a um, uh, lighter sort of uh, thief caper with her called Pink Thief. Mm. And she's fucking hot in that movie. <laughs> uh, that's enough for me sometimes. Well, as far as it being a very flat, you're right, it's a very flat relationship, melodrama. Um, as I said, I thought your, your summary was a little charitable. You left out a few things. Like the fact that Fang... Uh, starts having an affair with the with the boss's daughter. That's, yeah, yeah that's the reach the top angle, if you will. So yeah. uh, that's uh, the, the like the honeymoon is very so to say short in this movie. Uh, but uh, keep that thought in mind. I just wanted to really briefly uh, put into context uh, a little bit why I like uh, Lucia Fenn and uh, I like her transition uh, after she broke through. You know her debut movie and acclaimed movie was this uh, sort of political drama called On the Society File of Shanghai. Uh, mm. has very exploitive um, uh, cover art. Uh, she stabs herself in the well, in the breast, really, in the movie, you know, in a defiant moment. And they made that sort of as um, they made that part of the poster art. And we saw that in subsequent movies, including Kill for Love. You know, she mm-hmm. had you know, cleavage in the movies and therefore cleavage on the posters. You know, sexiness is what we're aiming for here, even if it's a bad and boring movie. And, and, but I like the transition from that, uh, appearing in genre films of various acclaim. You know, she's in a great rape revenge movie called uh, Lady Avenger. Really good. Uh, and, uh, but she did these genre movies and was game doing them, and but eventually, you know, got into dramas again and got major acclaim for dramas, even uh, before the end, uh, mid uh, point of the eighties, uh, but also at the end of the eighties. There's a movie called Osmanfus Alley, which is really a tour de force uh, for her. So, uh, but but I like that advertising was, you know, this was how it was done. If a movie featured her, you know, it was based mm-hmm. on her cleavage. Uh, but but she's 
strong enough as a human being, I think, to like and perform it. That, that I think she saw that, and she went where the work yeah. is, and eventually got material to work with again. You know, even when she tried comedy, uh, I liked the attempt, but it's, she did a movie called The Sexy Lady Driver, which mm-hmm. sounds great. But it's uh, she wasn't destined for being a comedic uh, presence. But even that, they they parodied one of her like uh, scenes in these movies. She she stabs herself in the breast in that movie. So it even went around that way that they started making fun of their own movies. So she's gorgeous. She's comfort for me. I admire her as a performer, and I'll watch anything and even critique it, uh, even mm-hmm. her. But. Uh, Man, is she gorgeous? <laughs> yeah, what a what a weird gimmick to have, though. Is your what a weird thing to have as your signature? Is oh, that's the actress who stabs herself at the yep. end of every movie. And and uh, yeah, even in this movie, I mean, I don't care if we're spoiling it. She doesn't stab herself in the breast or anything, but she stabs herself in the stomach and lives uh, at, uh, at least as when the police arrives, she seems alive, and then probably a few minutes mm-hmm. later, she was gone. You, you, do you have a firm memory of having seen her before the anger, or this is like your introduction to her via these two movies, essentially? Well, I may have seen her before, but I didn't remember it. So this is, yeah, I think this is pretty much my intro to her. I thought she was fine. I mean, I think for a movie like this to be interesting, I mean, because basically, yes, there's killing for love in it, but it doesn't take place until the very end of the movie. The yeah. whole movie works up to that, but doesn't really even, there's not even really a building of tension. No. Everything just sort of comes of whole cloth out of every plot development just sort of just pops up. Like all of a sudden the the husband decides to kill her. After he's gone back to her with his hat in hands, you know. Um, it, it, it's just like, uh, that's why I disliked also Devil Returns to a degree. Like, they just present us with this as fact and, uh, and there's no yeah. confidence present here that right. R- Richard is going to build on that through even a tiny bit of tension. It's it just there and uh, uh, even I can lay out that stuff uh, and make an equal quality like movie out of it uh, yeah and, and the thing is i there's a few more movies uh, with richard chen where he directed her that i've um that i'm gonna see and i haven't seen temptation i haven't seen the 1989 drama spring swallow but so far they're not working they're not clicking you know yeah uh, the anger was kind of the same for me it has some cool moments but uh Lucia Fenn worked much better with uh, director Karen Yang. In, in Lady Avenger, she did a movie with Alan Tam called Exposed to Danger, which you might have heard of because that features a beat-by-beat um, a recreation of the uh, beheading ending from Friday the 13th. Yeah, which uh, it's a great, like, oh my god, they went there. But it's not a Friday the 13th ripoff, it's just that moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but but uh, with Richard Chen, there's still something missing. But again, Temptation, I've yet to see, and Spring Swallow yeah. in 1989. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if they ever clicked as uh, director and performer. Yeah. Well, I got to say, uh, I have not. It seems like the movie on which your esteem, uh, whatever esteem you have for Richard Chen is based, is his uh, remake of Ms. 45. I haven't seen that. From what I've seen. Yeah, I'm not really sold. He he just doesn't there's doesn't really seem to have a style. Uh you know, there's not a lot of style in his movies. There's not um there's not a wow the wow factor I'm looking for. Is these these movies both seem very this movie especially is very flat and it's a it basically ends up being a relationship 
drama, a, a sort of a movie about a troubled relationship, and something like that is only going to be interesting if you have really, really high quality directing and really high quality acting. I think yeah. the acting is serviceable. Um, uh, the directing just isn't up to it. I, I don't really understand why this movie was made, to be honest. I, I think it's one of those quickly greenlit thing to cash in yeah. on her popularity because he and her were both quite active in the early 80s. You know, uh, not that they did 20 movies per year, but uh, for for a movie industry that's uh, compared to Hong Kong doesn't produce as much. This was the case of producing a lot, and uh, um, therefore. Um, you know, odds are that not everything is going to be uh, great and uh, or even successful. I don't know if this was even successful, um, uh, despite her being such a, a big name to put on a poster and what have you. And the poster is goddamn sexy as well. So they they probably got they they got some people um, in there at least. You know, pay. <laughs> you know, the the only like uh, the, the, it starts out great for her. As a performer, I like the club scene where they, mm-hmm. he, um, her friend um, and her are like uh, lured in there to be tour guides, but it turns out they're there to be club girls, and she don't, she won't have that. You know, she will punch back when uh, men in these movies who are clearly so sex depraved that any view of flesh turns them into rapists or drooling fools, either or. <laughs> and her friend, she escapes, and then her friend. My note is that. Uh, Friends Sin Mei and Ah Sin come to the big city looking for work and get tricked into working for a brothel. Sin Mei escapes, but Ah Sin stays and becomes a dirty, filthy whore. <laughs> well, she, she, she becomes. She, she, she's kind of proud of it, too. And uh, she's had yeah. like, multiple abortions and it's like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. You know? and she, yeah, I kept and I kept waiting for her character to have some utility. But I thought maybe she would come in at the end and save the day or something because she was like the street smart one. But no, she just kind of disappeared from the story. I also uh, thought at times that the movie was maybe just lazily trying to say something about class, you know, because uh, Luke Chauvin's character is working in a literally working on the factory floor, Mm -hmm. you know, assembling transistors while Fang is a white collar guy you know yep. he's up in the he's he's an upper office guy trying to impress the boss and all that and and the and the breaking point in their relationship comes when fang wants to marry the boss's daughter um and fang is like a dick also <laughs> i have to say yeah fang wants to marry the boss's daughter and the boss and the boss has found out that fang is living with Sin May, and and he says, I won't allow you to marry my daughter as long as you have this woman living in your house, and that's you know imply that she's sort of low okay, class. Okay, I'll kill her. <laughs> right, and he says, oh, and then he he throws her out, and that's when she really loses her shit. Yeah, and she go, but she doesn't kill him. She goes and she confronts the other woman, mm-hmm. you know, and then the w- other woman. Uh, confronts Fang and I think kind of gives him a, an earful. And after that, he goes back to his to Sin Mei. Um, 
but upon finding out that she's pregnant, decides to kill her. <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, the beats are, okay, those are the beats, okay, but yeah. what, it's what you do with them, and if you can elevate them to to, to affect and being right. affecting, and, you know, there's nothing bad with having a basic romance, going good, then going bad, and having right. someone be have in her, in this case, Lucia Fenn's character, this mm. uh, raging... Jealousy. She is treated bad, but she also is that uh, flip-flopping uh, kind of uh, character that, you know, will be super happy in one moment, one second later, if something yeah. teeny, 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 tiny, tiny, tiny goes wrong, she starts pouting and starts shouting, you know, about uh, that, those irrational, like, back and forth. And that's not bad, but this, uh, you know, uh, flat, I guess, is the word. I mean, it just is flat-lined all throughout. Yeah, see, I don't think with her that's character. I think that's bad writing and sure, bad sure. direction. Because yeah, yeah. she does go from being super clingy. Um, yeah, she's sort of set up, yeah, in the first the first section of the movie, she's set up as being independent. You know, she, you know, she tells the guys who are trying to get her to be a, a bar girl to fuck off and, yeah. like, just fails. You know, but then she's, like, waiting on Fang hand and foot. You know, he says, oh, you're not like city girls. You know, you clean my my crappy apartment. And, you know, she's, you know, she's acting as a maid for him, basically. Yeah. And and then, yeah, and then she's, like, all clean. You know, if I can't marry you, I can't marry anyone. And it's, like, you know, the most important thing in her life is is to marry yeah, I don't. I just thought that was poor writing because it yeah. wasn't. She wasn't very consistent, and I th- I felt like, yeah, I don't know who is supposed to be the protagonist here because Fang is is so awful, but he's not awful in a way that he's a villain. You know, he's just weak. You know, he just yeah. can't. He he lacks the character to be a good man, and that's not interesting. That describes a very unfortunately large percentage of men on Earth. So, (laughs) you know, um, you know, he's just like this worm, basically, you know. He's even even, uh, eyeing a new girl while attending church while his girlfriend is having an an, an abortion, which is uh, like one of the few... uh, stylish moment ever so slightly because it intercuts with uh, something obviously intercuts with a church and abortion and those right. are necessarily not things that go hand in hand if you will and it's uh yeah and i know it's a it's a catholic uh, wedding that they're having too yeah later like on as well yeah christian hymn there's a christian hymn on the soundtrack as the abortion is happening and that's a nice you know that's a nice attempt at ironic PowerPoint. I guess he did try some things, but they're, they're, they're like the only he, he clearly fell in love with slow motion, and that that's a, can be used yeah. to good effect. And the obviously the slow motion knife ending when again uh, Lucia Fan storms into the church, and everybody thought she was dead or um, her boyfriend did, mm-hmm. uh, and then she runs in and uh, wants to stop the. Uh, stop the wedding. She doesn't run in with a knife first, but she she's armed, and then it goes into slow motion. And you know, again, if you, I'm not uh, being forgiving towards the movie, but I I also look at kind of as an individual scenario when it goes into slow motion and the violent beats that do happen. They're not mm. too bad on their own. Like it could be really harrowing if they, it was backed up by something. But it's uh, just something pretty dark on its own. But in the context doesn't really matter too much. Uh, it's just a slow motion knife scene. Right. It doesn't make up for 
everything that's come before it. You know, you've had to sit through a lot of banality and a lot of just flat ugliness, you know, to get to it. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't I hope you're not talking about Lucia Fans cleavage as ugly. No, not at all. <laughs> but I was, I, I, I literally was almost sitting there going, you know, it says someone's going to kill for love, you know, at like an hour and 15 minutes, I was almost at the point of just going, kill for love, kill for love, you know. Uh, and Sounds then like a metal song, something like, kill for right, love, kill exactly. for love, kill for love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would have been good. Um, and speaking of music, signature uh, musical cues in this film, an instrumental version of Lionel Richie's Hello, you know, the video with the blind girl who makes the ugly bust of him provides a recurrent theme, and then uh, during a love scene between Fang and the boss's daughter where he's doing her on his desk, uh, is set to Procol Harum's, a, a Muzak version of Procol Harum's A Whiter Shade of Pale. And other than that, there's just a lot of kind of shrill new wave pop going on coming out of radios and everything and you know my note here says that it's this movie that had the clip from horror express in it Am I, uh, no, I may no, be wrong it, it is devil returns i don't think anyone watched a movie in the movie in this one uh, I, I don't remember any tv at all they were just uh, walking around trying to <laughs> perform a drama i suppose okay yeah well, for me, this movie really, uh, this is one of the worst movies I've seen in a while, to be honest. Um, and I've watched some really bad movies in the last 12 months. I watched, you know, Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. So saying that, at least that was weird and kind of disturbing. This was just flat, flat and ugly and boring. You know, let me ask you something. You know, I talk about that comfort factor that I can sit down with uh, a lot of Taiwanese movies, uh, even that I know uh, that are, for instance, this one, if we used it, I, I won't anytime soon, but if we just use it as an example, uh, as a Taiwan movie, I can sit down and kind of watch it because I like the feel of Taiwanese cinema. Do, can you, in your life, in your viewing experience, like draw a comparison to any other country cinema where it's just comforting and kind of entertaining despite you being able to critique a lot of that country cinema movies to death you know what i mean it, it, yeah it's for something that just entertains you despite being ridiculously bad well i think part of it is that you if once you embrace a certain kind of cinema you know you sort of embrace it flaws and all mm. you get and you watch a lot of it you sort of become lulled by the tropes, the things that are, you know, happen over and over again, the sort of signature things. Yeah, like, like, like Kung Fu comedy, for instance. I'm not a great fan of the genre, but I'll watch a lot of it and sit through a lot of excruciating, intolerable comedy, not because, okay, the action is coming. It somehow is comforting to a weird degree. I can't really explain it. So. I, t I totally understand that. With me, it's Bollywood movies. A lot of people, especially cult film uh, people, can't stand Bollywood movies because they're long, you know, and there's lots of music. So for some reason, some people are freaked out about musicals. I like musicals i think it's fun whenever songs are included um but and you know and the acting there's a lot of things that you know just looked at objectively are not considered um you know are considered hallmarks of maybe lesser cinema the acting's very over the top 
there predict there's a lot of predictability there's a lot of these these uh tropes that have to play out in every single movie and a lot of people can't stand that they're like ugh bollywood and i love it and i just you know when i sit down with a bollywood uh, movie i'm i'm watching for all those things to unfold and that and is it, it like era specific or you watch a newer bollywood to older bollywood lately i've been watching mostly 70s bollywood that's my my favored period though i also watch 60s and some 80s i don't watch as much new bollywood as i used to but um it's when you do watch newer bollywood it's surprising how many of the tropes still remain how many of the things that you know the the clichés that they that they resort to again and again are still going strong yeah but i definitely understand that whole thing of just and lucha movies too i mean lucha movies for some people are sort of the definition of bad cinema you know they're silly and uh you know they're cheap and but i love all the silliness and all the cheapness and all of the you know the the little all the beats all the predictable beats that each of them have i think that's awesome that is just like a warm you know a warm blanket you know uh, mm-hmm. for me you know it's yeah it's very cozy for me but a lot of people are just like how can you watch that stuff so believe me i understand i don't fault you even if you said richard chen was your you know was your favorite director you know to each his own i don't you know as long as you don't try and take my lucha and bollywood movies from me i will <laughs> i want to reveal my plan you reveal you got you found out my plan i thought it was so well conceived god damn it i have to you you're sharp sir you're very sharp <laughs> all right um as for availability of Kill for Love, it's actually the same. It's part of the Ocean Shores catalog as well. It was released on VCD and Laserdisc. We watched uh, Rip of the Laserdisc. Uh, and, and you can't really find it because the Ocean Shores catalog is not uh, reprinted. There's obviously no uh, Laserdiscs out there anymore. And uh, it was the same kind of a print status as well. It's cropped to 133 from probably 235. Even though this is a flat movie, I don't know if scope would have meant all the difference in the world. I don't think so. Uh, but it is um, a subtitle they reframe the subtitles again uh, and and when they are on screen which is not uh, throughout the movie there are chunks missing there are very sparse subtitles i thought it was like about every fifth line was subtitled <laughs> what, what what did you say on facebook there was like there was a line in the subtitles where a character said like i'm going to tell you something now and what he told him wasn't subtitled <laughs> yeah it was like yeah it was like i have to tell you something important followed by a large block of unsubtitled dialogue. It was like, Bill, what are you doing? I'm subtitled. God damn it, don't disturb me. You did that that before as well. Right, exactly. Oh, lunch break. I'll just leave it playing. (laughs) I get done faster that way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, okay, so so if you can find it used, uh, if you if you if you found this to be a recommendation, uh, it isn't from us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you found yeah. some interest in there to look up Kill for Love, then then there, it's uh, maybe found used or on torrent forums. Uh, but uh, that's us. Uh, next time, as I said, I'm working on an interview with you know as with Richard Chen. Again, not one of my favorite directors. I like some of the movies, but there, this is a chance for to talk to someone who's who, who was making these movies, who was in this industry, and um, mm-hmm. we we don't have many of those answers. What it was like, you know, it's not documented. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's also part of a 
like the chance I'm taking here. And uh, I've mm-hmm. to- talked with him on email as late as today. He's like compiling some answers to be prepared for the show. And uh, he's he was educated abroad, so he speaks English and all of that. So uh, it's uh, hopefully we'll uh, get that done. But the next time you and I get together, whether it's the next episode or the episode after that, we are doing a ninja double bill. Yes, ninjas. God free hoes. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> no, no, no. It's Lee Cho Nam's A Life of Ninja and Challenge of the Lady Ninja, both starring Elsa Jung and Chen Quan Tai. You know, we go from downbeat to something more colorful, literally, because Elsa Jung is a red ninja in the latter movie. And I am in- so down for that. I am in there like swimwear, my friend. And uh, yeah, both movies are colorful and fun. And uh, it's a challenge of the Lady Ninja is an Elsa Young vehicle, Chen Quan Tai uh, supporting, and they reverse it for a life of Ninja. And um, uh, but it's great. And uh, we got some uh, good widescreen uh, prints to go along with that. And it it uh, should be a lot of fun. These were titles that were distributed by the other Ninja company, Filmark. But this was before the Ninja craze, and they just. Uh, Picked it up, uh, put a dub on it, and uh, and uh, shot it out in the world, and uh, complete. And uh, you're, you're going to love, um, at least, uh, even I could identify one of the music cues in one of the movies, but it opens with this, like, zoom in on Shen Quan Tai's face, and we mm-hmm. get, like, the Imperial March from Star Wars. <laughs> and that makes Great. you not... Uh, like abandon the movie, but rather you like. I, I like. I like this. This is gonna be fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> Star Wars and Shen Quan Tai, you know, and it's not a sci-fi movie at all. So. Uh, but right, that is us from this uh, Dan Richard Chen double bill done. So uh, contact information really quick again. Taiwan, what are you been uh, listening to? I'm talking like Yoda all of a sudden. Taiwan, what are you? What have you been listening to? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the uh, podcastonfire.com is where you'll find uh, Taiwan War and all the bonus episodes and the other shows. Uh, if you have any uh, thoughts and questions, uh, email us podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Uh, like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash PUF network. Join the discussion group. You can find out by uh, following, the link, following the link or typing in podcast on fire network in the Facebook search bar. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My writing so good reviews.com. My video reviewing lazykvideo.com and my tweets twitter.com forward slash so good reviews uh, rate and subscribe to Taiwan or on iTunes if you're an iTunes uh, user and if you have the time share what you think of the show leave like a two sentence uh, review in the um, uh, comment section there over at iTunes we would very much appreciate that and finally stream us on Stitcher uh, application available to your iPhone iPad or Android uh, online as well but the smoothest way is to use the application and once you're in Stitcher type in Taiwan War and that will get you the show and you can add us to your favorites if you like us that is so we hope you do and uh, finally Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles the Taiwan Black Movies posts uh, we uh, specifically link to Hazel's blog uncovering the movies behind the ninja action, whether they were Thai, whether they were Taiwan, and uh, uh, but we're focusing more on his Taiwan black movies posts, if you will, and Spain, which is where he just hails from. That was a great country for uh, video releases of some of these uh, movies, uh, even in widescreen. So there's a, a video history there, there in Spain to detail as well, and, and it's in English, this blog. So, uh, so that's me. Take a deep breath. What's your plugs, man? I'm going to keep it uh, brief. Uh, die Danger, Die Die Kill dot blogspot dot com. Uh, go there and check out my writing over there. And if you go over to the friendly sidebar on the right, you'll see links to my Twitter, 
my Facebook, uh, my Tumblr, um, and then if you go down even farther, uh, you'll see links to Taiwan Noir. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I did. Have, I think I do still have a MySpace page somewhere. And then, uh, yeah, links to Infernal Brains podcast, Taiwan Noir, uh, the pop uh, offensive radio show. Definitely check that out. And Fighting Femmes, Fiends and Fanatics. Check it all out. Um, and and I will be grateful. And I'll and I'll hug you in your dreams. <laughs> Sounded so creepy. Like that I'll, was creepy. I'll hug you in your dreams. <laughs> Let's cuddle. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we are done for this episode of Taiwan Noir. Thank you very much for listening. And I've been Kennedy, and with me was Todd Statman. So I'll say bye bye. Thanks, everybody. See you next, or talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.